As some of you may know, I'm a huge American football fan, having played myself in high school. And of course, my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. The key player to any football team is the quarterback. He's often the highest paid player on the team. The star quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys is a man by the name of Dak Prescott. And last season, his rookie contract expired. In the contract negotiations for a long-term contract, the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott were unable to come to an agreement. So the team applied an automatic one-year extension, which paid him a fully guaranteed $31.4 million to play this season, which is a lot of money. The Dallas Cowboys had reportedly offered Dak Prescott a salary in the neighborhood of $175 million over the course of five years with about $110 million guaranteed money. The contractual hang-up was widely believed to be that Dak Prescott wanted a four-year deal instead so that he could get to the next negotiation sooner. It wasn't that he was greedy per se, but he knew that he could command more since the professional life of a football player is limited and there would be a new renegotiated TV contract. By not taking the deal and taking the one-year automatic extension instead of the long-term contract, Prescott was making what amounted to be a $144 million gamble on his future to play this year with a one-year contract instead of a long-term one. If you were Dak Prescott, would you take the deal? Would you risk $144 million on the possibility of a better deal? I think most of us would take the deal. It is a lot of money. Well, in the game with the New York Giants last week, in an unfortunate accident, Prescott suffered a gruesome leg injury, a compound fracture on his right ankle, which immediately ended his season and may affect his playing future. He was one of the good guys in the league, and there was an outpouring of support. Everyone in the sporting world felt so bad for him. This really wonderful young man just lost $144 million. Many articles have been subsequently written analyzing the future he has now. What could have been if he only signed that long-term contract with that guarantee money? He would have been set for life even if he didn't ever play football again. The unexpected has happened and his life has been affected. In many ways, this is what 2020 has been like for many of us. We had so many plans. We had so many expectations. We were hoping that this year would be one of the best as we started a new decade. The economy was strong. The country was improving. And we were in a good place. The church had some amazing plans and some new outreaches. And we were excited to launch new ministries. The future was indeed bright. And then the COVID pandemic came and it changed everything and affected everyone's life. Here in the Philippines, we are still under the world's longest quarantine, seven months and counting. The economy has been severely affected. Uncertainty now reigns in our hearts. Worries, disappointments, discouragements, impatience are emotions that we feel weekly, perhaps for some of us even daily. And life has come to a standstill for many of us because we simply don't know what to do. In this unique time of uncertainty that all of us are in individually and collectively as a church, I want to direct you to Psalm 63 
to take a look at the type of heart we are to cultivate during this time. I pray that this psalm would serve both as an encouragement and challenge for all of us. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 63, as we take a look at verses 1 to 11. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 11. Now let's take a look quickly at the context of this psalm. There is a superscript before verse 1, and it says this, A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. From the description of Psalm 63, we know that this psalm or song was written by David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, we don't know the exact context, but he seems to be physically separated from the Ark of the Covenant, as we will find out in these verses. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's earthly presence resided during this time. Whether separated by force or not, we don't know. If separated by force, then we can perhaps speculate that this psalm was written when King David had fled from Jerusalem into the Judean wilderness because of the rebellion of his son Absalom. If so, it was certainly a time of distress, a time of anxiousness and worry, a time of feeling restless as he waited on the Lord to act. Perhaps he went through a few sleepless nights, a time of feeling very much alone. This very much describes the times we live in, in this unique time of history with a truly global pandemic. These are the emotions we have. But in this psalm, we get a glimpse into the heart of David. We see how he's able to praise and relate to God even in the midst of such troubled times. And there are four aspects of his heart we want to study. Hopefully, we can cultivate a similar heart as members of the church, young and old. Remember, the church is not an organization. It is the body of Christ made up of the men and women who are a part of it. If each of us can cultivate a heart like David's, I think we collectively as a church can show the world that there is a God we can worship and praise even if we live in challenging and uncertain times. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. David begins by declaring the one true God, Yahweh, is his God and that he desires to seek him. Early will I seek you has the idea of earnestly or sincerely will I seek you. David really longs for God. The translation of early means that David desires to seek God and saw his time with God as a priority. It was for him the first thing you are to do in the day. Of course, there is no set time that we must seek God. We can spend time with him any time of the day as long as you do it. But of course, practically, the reason spiritual leaders suggest that you spend time with the Lord in the morning is because if you don't, then the other things of life will creep into your schedule in the day and you will find that you don't have time for the Lord at the end of the day. So give Him priority in the day. That's why it's translated here, early will I seek you, earnestly will I seek you, is the idea. David goes on to describe his longing for God comparing it to the longing and the craving for water when your throat is parched or dry. 
This is the very real situation he is in, being in the hot and dry Judean wilderness, where people long for water to refresh and to re-energize them. I wonder, my friends, do you have the same longing, the same desire, the same craving for God? You see, number one, David had a heart that longs for God. A heart that longs for God. That helped him get through this challenging and difficult time. Do you similarly have this longing of heart? I want you to think of the times in your life when you crave something so badly that you will do anything and everything to get what you crave for. Most of these moments in my life are are for when I crave for something food-related. Here in Asia, when we mostly eat Asian food, I often have a craving just for a good American hamburger. So I'm willing to drive 30 minutes, 40 minutes, even in the pouring rain, when I have that craving to go to Chili's to have one of their burgers. Conversely, when I was in America eating burgers and pizza and pasta, basically Western food every day, I would badly crave for some Chinese food, just some steamed white rice and and some soy-based foods. And I wouldn't mind driving 45 minutes out of my way just to go get a bowl of rice. I remember being in Israel one time and after two weeks of Mediterranean food, I was so craving Chinese food, I took a 40-minute taxi ride just to go to the only Chinese restaurant in Jerusalem at 10 p.m., The cab fare was more than the food, but the steamed rice never smelled and tasted so good. The things we do to satisfy our cravings. My friends, do you have this similar type of craving, this longing for God, where you will be willing to do everything and anything just to spend time with Him? Is He your priority? You know, we're willing to drive an hour to go to a restaurant and even wait an hour to be seated just to satisfy our cravings, and we wouldn't even bat an eye to do so. But horror the thought if we had to wake up 10 minutes earlier just to read the Bible and pray. Something for us to think about. The pandemic has done many things, and in a sense, there is one good thing it has done. It has stripped away all of our excuses. It has taken away all of our justifications for why we don't have time for the Lord. For months, some of us just sat in our homes with nothing to do. In those times, and even now with work from home set up or study from home, there are no longer long commutes or long travel times. There's a sudden drop in social commitments and obligations. There are no longer family times spent in the malls. With all that free time, did you somehow have more time for the worship of God? Because if you have time to binge watch on Netflix and whatever shows you watch, but don't have time to spend with God, then you simply do not long for God. We need to admit that. And we do not desire to spend time with Him. And that then would be a problem. And because we don't long for God and we don't want to spend time with Him in prayer and in His Word, then no wonder you and I often worry and feel anxious and our spiritual life is weak and we are in a fragile emotional state during this time of pandemic. Throughout these many months, I have received many phone calls of people who are anxious and wanted me to pray with them and I happily do so. 
But when I asked them about their personal time with the Lord, many of them admit that it is lacking. It is not as robust as it should be. Of course, I encourage that that must change. We worry because we do not spend time with God. We are anxious because we do not long for Him. It's like a person who hates eating vegetables. They don't look for it. If it happens to be cooked and it's the only thing for dinner, then you eat it begrudgingly and certainly not with joy. But if it isn't there on the dinner table, we don't look for it. Or we don't think we're missing much if there isn't any vegetables. That's kind of like how we treat God. We don't go out of our way to look for Him. If our paths seem to intersect or happen to intersect, like going physically to a church on Saturday or Sunday, then great. But if those forced interactions don't happen, then we don't go out of our way to meet Jesus. And we don't think we're missing very much. So now because we are not able to physically meet, we no longer see the pastor face-to-face who will encourage you There are no longer children programs or youth fellowships to motivate you. The church community isn't physically together to keep you accountable. That without those natural intersection points, then we naturally forget Him. That is the sad state of many of us if we are honest with ourselves. We're making no effort to look to find time with Jesus. With all that has been stripped away, how do we answer honestly the question, Do I have a heart that longs for God? And if not, why not? If you and I realize this deficiency, and you want a heart that longs for God like David's, what can you do? Well, first of all, you need to put in some effort. It's it's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. Sometimes you and I know we have to force ourselves to do something so that we will end up liking it and enjoying it. No one takes up the hobby of running and after one minute of trying this new hobby says, I love this so much, I will run for the rest of my life. No one learns to ride a bike and while pedaling uphill says, I love this. No one starts eating healthier and says, I love it when the food is not fried. You have to put in the effort to have it become a part of your life and then begin to see the benefits and then long for it. That's why there are those who love to jog, who love to bike, who love to eat healthier. They end up longing to do it because they have experienced its benefits. You see, in verse 2, we see David's effort to look for God. That's what he says in verse 2. Because he desires to see God's power and God's glory. That motivated his longing to be with God since he was currently away from the ark David had previously glimpsed God's power and glory, and he couldn't get enough. And so he wanted and and longed for more. You know, it's like watching any series that has you addicted or hooked, whether it's K-drama or or a sitcom or uh, a thriller or or Agents of Shields or whatever. You get hooked. You want to see more and more and more. There's always a cliffhanger at the end. You want to know how it will end, how much more exciting it will be. I remember just this week, I stumbled upon a National Geographic video about wolves and polar bears in the Canadian Arctic. It was about a 10-minute video. I'm not really into nature documentaries, 
but I, I liked action and I wondered who would win in the battle between the pack of wolves and the giant polar bear. Who would win the battle? And so I watched it. And I watched the next episode that came after it. And six episodes later, I was still watching. I found that I began to care about snow owls and sea otters and little cubs and animals I had never heard of because the scriptwriter made us care whether they would survive or not in the brutal Arctic North. I just wanted more. I eventually spent all night watching about animals in the Arctic North. When you catch a glimpse of how great God is and how amazing He is and how powerful and glorious He is through His mighty works, big or small, how He is so amazing through the intricacies of His creation, you will begin to cultivate that longing for God. But it will take effort. It will take time on your part. You have to pursue intimacy with God. You have to put in the time to read the Word of God, to put in the effort to read Christian books, to learn the great theologies of our faith, to think about Him. That will spur your longing for Him. And it is in those times that we will find peace and calmness in the situation we are in. Look what the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the Lord. His delight is in the study of God's word. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. As one who calls themselves followers of Jesus Christ, Paul admonishes the Colossian Christians, and to us as well, that we are to set our minds on things above. We are to think about the heavenly things. We are to think about God. Look at Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. Look what the psalmist writes. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? The Bible tells us, look and think about how wonderful, how magnificent, how great He is, the wonders of His world, and just remember that He thinks about us every day. Just the thought that the Creator God, the God of the universe, cares for us. What is man, the psalmist writes, that you are mindful of Him? When we think about the deep thoughts about God and what He does, It gets us to long for Him. It gets us to appreciate Him. It gets us to love Him. It cultivates in our heart a longing for God. My friends, the church needs men and women, young men and young women, children, all who have a deep longing for God, who desire to be in intimate fellowship with Him. If the longing isn't there, the church simply goes through the motion of being the church People don't grow spiritually. And when the pandemic is over, we will all go back to our usual excuses of why we don't have time for God. In these seven to eight months of the pandemic, has your walk with God deepened? Do you long for Him? If not, maybe you can begin to put in the effort to think about God, to read His Word, so that your heart 
will long for the one who shows you so much grace and mercy. Look at me at verses 3 to 5 of Psalm chapter 63. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David then continues that he remembers God's loving kindness. The word loving kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, meaning loyal or faithful love. It's a love that is somehow related to a loyal relationship between the one who loves and the one he loves. God's love toward us isn't a flippant sort of love based on what we do for Him. And then He then returns His love. His love for us is based on a faithfulness and a loyalty to us. Let's pause and dig down deeper into this profound and beautiful type of love that David expresses is better than life. You see, if you think about it, the greatest expression of love is a love that is loyal. I just did a wedding where instead of the personalized vows, the couple went with the so-called traditional standard vows, where the couple vows to be with each other for richer and poorer, in joy and in sorrow, and in sickness and in health, and sometimes I want to add for fatter or for thinner. These phrases speak of a love that is fiercely loyal in spite of one's monetary position, in spite of life's circumstances, in spite of one's health condition, and even in spite of their appearance. You realize it is a vow to love loyally, to love faithfully, something that sadly many in marriage relationships today forget about. It is a type of love that goes beyond the superficial and to the faithful. Love for one another is most profoundly expressed when, for example, a spouse takes care of his mate who is bedridden for 15 to 20 years. What if your spouse has Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's or ALS? Would you care for them for 10, 20, 30 years? Would you abandon them for someone else? You know, it's an easy answer to say, no, I will take care of them when it has not yet happened. But if it does happen, it will be a test of your loyal love the very basis of what true love means. One of my professors in seminary, a world-class scholar, cut back from his academic life to take care of his ailing wife. He told us in class, one of his last classes to teach, that it would be the greatest honor of his life to take care of his wife who has taken care of him all throughout his. I will always remember that statement because that truly expresses hesed, a loyal love. And he indeed did just that, giving up his academic life to take care of his wife. And this is the type of love that David remembers that God displays and acts towards him. God has shown his loyal love through David's many faults and deficiencies that God would still put up with him and love him as his own child. This is the love of God in our lives as children of His when we place our trust in His Son, Jesus. David states that this is better than life because it means that he knows that someone has his back and will not abandon him, will not stab him in the back. 
It must be one of the most hurting things in life to have someone you think loves you abandon you or hurt you in a very deep way. And David recognizes that God does not do that. So just the thought of God's loyal love brought praise to the lips of David. He gave thanks and praised God because he knew that even though he was in the Judean wilderness, he wasn't alone. God still loved David very much. But more than just an outward expression of praise for God's loyal love, look at verse 5 and see a glimpse of David's heart. It is, number two, a heart that finds satisfaction in God. A heart that finds satisfaction in God. To know that God loved him with a Hesed type of loyal love brought satisfaction to his life. That's what David wrote. He brought David to a level of full satisfaction as if someone who was hungry was able to eat all the foods that he wanted to eat to his satisfaction. That someone is able to eat to contentment all the best foods, the marrow, the fats. It is a satisfaction in the heart that is complete and requires nothing more. That's what David is trying to express. How can this be the case when he's on the run, when he is in the wilderness instead of his royal palace? How can David be fully satisfied in this situation? He can be fully satisfied because his satisfaction is in the Lord. That's something a lot of us need to be reminded of at this time. That a heart of satisfaction does not mean that it is devoid of all difficult circumstances. It means that even though we're going through challenging times, that we can still find full satisfaction and contentment when it is found in the Lord. Satisfaction is not found in material things because we will always want more. I remember a funny story of two friends who met together on the street one day. One looked sad and almost on the verge of tears, His friends asked, my friend, what happened to you? To which the sad fellow said, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money, his friend said. But you see, the sad man continued, two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000, free and clear. The friend replied, "That, that sounds like you've been very blessed. You don't understand, the sad man interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away. I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. The friend was really confused and said, Then why are you so sad? You've inherited so much money. The sad friend said, Well, I'm discouraged because this week, no one died and I didn't get anything. You see, my friends, material things will never grant you a complete satisfaction of your soul. The deep longings of our heart are only fully satisfied in God. Think about some of the greatest needs of mankind. Significance is one. Everyone strives to be significant and famous in this world. What's the highest title you can strive to achieve? A lot of people think it's to be the most famous man or woman in the world. But the scripture tells us that the highest title we can achieve is to be a child of God when we place our trust in Him. So would you rather have the title the most famous person in the world and go to hell or to be the child of the heavenly King? What title are you striving for? And if you have it, are you content? 
Another thing we strive for is friendship. That is a longing of mankind. We all strive to have friends, many friends, but also friends who will protect us, friends who are influential. Well, through Jesus, the Bible tells us that God is our friend. Don't you think it's enough that the God of the universe is your friend? Do you need to impress others to try to have more friends? You know, I used to think, wouldn't it be nice to have some sort of bat signal to call upon a superhero to come and rescue me whenever I need? It never hurts to have Superman, if he was real, or Batman as your friend to come and rescue you. But we have something better. The all-powerful God of the universe, who always comes to our aid, is just one prayer away. Another longing of mankind is to find purpose. Some people today are still looking for purpose in this life. The Bible says our purpose is to live for God's glory, to live in such a way that goes beyond merely enriching ourselves, but to bring glory to God by serving others. And if this is our purpose in life, it is completely satisfying versus the superficial purposes we usually live for, which leaves us incomplete and unsatisfied. Now we can go on and on about the needs of mankind and how in the Lord all of these needs are fully met because truly in Him we can be fully satisfied. What more in life do you want? Do you want more things which you can't take with you when you leave this earth? More ambitions that take away from the quality of your life? Or do you want more of Jesus who will bring peace and full satisfaction to settle your hearts so that you can find satisfaction in Him, even in times of uncertainties. Let's take a look at verses 6 to 8. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. David now says that he meditates and thinks about God all throughout the night. Why? Perhaps in the darkness of the Judean wilderness, things scare him. The fears of his life begin to creep up. And we all know this to be true. Often it is in the dark that our fears are somehow highlighted. But as David thinks about the Lord, he relaxes and realizes in verses 7 to 8 that God is with him to help him through the night, both figuratively and in real life through the dark and difficult times of his life. He remembers that he's under the protection and safety of God. David pictures himself as being under the shadow of God's protective wings. And this draws to mind a mother chicken covering her chicks. I like what Lou Nichols writes. Whoever invented the word chicken-hearted doesn't know his chickens. I've never seen a greater demonstration of courage, fearlessness, and loyalty than I've seen displayed by a chicken in time of danger. A hen will sit immovable through the most violent storms with her chicks safely gathered under her, beneath her, that they might be protected from the elements without. This example can help us better understand why Jesus compares his own love to that of a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. 
to think about the great and mighty God who watches over us day and night and whose hand of protection is always with us should bring us assurance even during these uncertain times. You know, the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 147 verse 4 that the God who made the stars has named them. He calls each of them by name. So imagine the billions and the trillions of stars in the universe. God knows each one of them and has a name for them. John chapter 10 verse 3 reminds us that the great shepherd calls each of his sheep by name. He knows us by name. And then we get a glimpse into the heart of God. When Paul was an early convert, he was scared and the Lord realizes that he needs a disciple or someone to take care of him. And he calls upon Ananias. And he asks Ananias to seek out Paul. He knew the street where Paul was at and he knew the host that was taking care of Paul. That's the detail to which God knows what is happening in the hearts of men and women's lives. That's how much God cares for us. He is the God of the universe. He knows the stars by name, but He also knows the things you and I are going through. That's why it can be said that there is nothing that can happen to us that God does not allow. There is no such thing as a near miss in the sight of God. It is a miss. You can think about all those times you nearly got hit by a car, but the fact of the matter is you didn't get hit. So sometimes we question God's protective care because we nearly got hit or something almost happened to us, but the reality is it didn't because God was there to protect us. In verse 8, here's another picture of God's protective care. And David pictures it as his proverbial right hand holding up a person. It is speaking about his strength. God's strength is the one protecting us. And the natural response to remember God's protective care is to draw near to him. Verse 8 says, I draw near to you. I follow close behind you. You see, David is clinging onto the rock that doesn't move in uncertain times. He places his hope and trust in God's protective care. Because God, you provide the best of protection. Because you are, are, are the best protective detail a person can have. I'm going to draw near to you. What David is exhibiting here, number three, is a heart that draws near to God. A heart that draws near to God. Because of God's protection, he draws near. I remember the story of a little girl who was found at a police station. And one of the police officers came over and said, What are you doing here, little girl? She was reading a scary story. When the police officer asked her why she was there, she said, When I read this story, I'm scared. But I'm reading the story here because here I feel protected. When we think about God's protective care, it should cause our hearts to want to draw near to Him, to be under His protective wings. The story is told of a young man who one day was put on a railroad train by his father and sent on a journey to the home of his aunt in the city. As the boy entered the train, he was greatly troubled at the thought of what might happen to him while on the train and when he arrived at the destination. But he soon found out that all of his worrying was for nothing. No sooner had the train started when the conductor came up to him and introduced himself and spoke kindly to him and said, if you need anything, just let me know. 
after the conductor left, the steward came and, to his surprise, brought him apples and candies and books to keep him occupied. So the time passed very quickly and pleasantly. As soon as he arrived in the city, a driver holding his name was at the gate to meet him, to take him directly, safely to his aunt's home. The boy couldn't understand it. He thought it was a miracle, all these nice people. But as he grew older, he learned that it was his father who had told the conductor to look after the boy. And he gave money to the steward to supply his boy with all of his needs and wants. And he was the one who phoned ahead to the car company to send the man to meet the boy at the train station upon his arrival. Because his father was on the job and taking care of his son. That little boy didn't need to worry. Now, he may not understand all the things that were happening, but his father had arranged it so that he would be taken care of. In the same way, there are a lot of times we wonder whether God is at work. We wonder if he's really protecting us and taking care of us. But my friends, God is always protecting us. He is working behind the scenes so that our lives will go smooth so that we don't have to worry. So cultivate a heart that draws near to the Father when we understand the truth of His protective care. Take a look at verses 9 to 11. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion of jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Here in verses 9 to 11, David realizes that his enemies, those who are giving him trouble, will be dealt with by God. They will be destroyed. God will handle it. They will suffer. They will eventually stop. They will not succeed. The mouth of those who speak lies will, will cease. Basically, the Lord will see to it that the injustice done to David will be dealt with. And that's why I love eschatology, the study of God's end-time plans, because it's a study of the certain victory of our Lord. But looking at the bigger picture, whatever challenges we face, like what David was going through, we don't have to worry because God will get us through it because He's the one that will take care of our problems. That's the emphasis here in verses 9 to 11. David can rest Because God has everything under control. And David comes to that realization. I want you to think about the things you were troubled with a year ago this time. During October or November of 2019. Do you remember your worries? I bet you don't. And the worries that you had a year ago, do you worry about them now? Most likely not. How about just a few months ago? How many of you were worried in January about a global war? I know many were, especially with the tension being ratcheted up between Iran and the U.S. That seems like ages ago, but we were all worried we would enter World War III. How about the Taal volcano explosion and eruption? Do you worry now, as you worried back in January, how your life would be affected, especially for those living in Metro Manila? It came and it passed. Now we have COVID. It too, my friends, will come and pass because the Lord is sovereign and in control. The psalmist remembers this truth and says he will rejoice. Now remember, his problems are still there. 
He's still in the Judean wilderness, but he is assured and he trusts that God will deal with it, whether in this life or the next in glory. And therefore, he proclaims, I will rejoice. You and I can also rejoice in this life, even if we have problems, because we have the assurance that God will take care of it and he will come out victorious, even if our life ends in death. That is not the ending story for those who have placed their trust in Jesus. We have a glorious heavenly future to look forward to that is our hope and joy, foundationed in the Lord. David here, number four, in these verses, has a heart that rejoices in God. A heart that rejoices in God. It is a heart that we are to cultivate. This is not some sort of fake or manufactured rejoicing during times of trouble as a coping mechanism or just to have a positive attitude even in the darkest of times. This is the sure reality that our God is in control. He sees injustice. He sees your problems. He knows the challenges you are going through. He sees your financial hardships. And He will take care of it in His timing and in His way. And that's why you and I can cultivate a heart of rejoicing. And we can rejoice always in spite of the circumstances. When the world sees that, they will be astonished. In C.S. Lewis's essay titled, A Word About Praising, in his short book, Reflections on the Psalms, he writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. What Lewis is trying to say here is, we rejoice and express praise because it confirms what we believe to be true and what we want the world to know. If you believe that your God is protective and in control, then the natural expression is one of praise. We need to be like David to cultivate a heart of praise. The world is watching us individually and us as a church collectively to see how we as followers of Jesus Christ will act in times of these uncertainties where everyone is looking for peace and assurance, we have it. We have it in Jesus Christ. And if our trust in the Lord God is expressed in such a way that our actions and our attitudes match the truth that we believe, then the world will want to know about Jesus. So may it be that like David, we will cultivate a heart that longs for God, a heart that finds satisfaction in God, a heart that draws near to God, and a heart that rejoices in Him. I know our hearts are perhaps unsettled at this moment, but let the truth of the Scriptures and the truth about God redirect and change our hearts so that through our hearts, the expression of our lives will bring the world to want to know Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this beautiful psalm, a psalm that expresses the heart's cry of King David at a time when he was going through uncertainty and difficulties. But to know that there is one who loves us with a loyal love, and through that expression of loyal love is always watching over us, may our heart also long for you. May our heart find deep satisfaction knowing that you provide all of our heart's needs. May we draw near to you because it is under your protective wings that we find true safety, that nothing happens to us that you don't allow. And may it be that our heart is always full of rejoicing and praise, that our heart expresses the truth that you are in control, that you will make things all right, and you will lead us through this time. Father, we love you because you first loved us and you showed forth your love through your Son, Jesus Christ. So may it be that we draw near to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Challenge us with these words. Make us a church that can make an impact in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.